Welcome to the Afterwards Podcast, where each week we talk with our teaching pastors about the message that they just gave and kind of dig into both the passage of scripture and all the other things that we can kind of take away from that. And sometimes we uncover some stuff that didn't make it into the message. My name is Jason, and today I'm here with Noel. Noel, how are you doing? You know, good. A little bit tired. It's been a long week, but... A little bit tired? <laughs> okay. But, I, but I'm, I'm, I'm locked and loaded. I'm ready for you. Okay, good. So th- I'm, <laughs> I'm glad because honestly, I mean this sincerely, this is one of my favorite parts of the week because we get to kind of have this conversation yeah, and I, too. I enjoy the conversation. I enjoy the podcast. I think that people are enjoying it. So that's great. Uh, I do actually want to... You, you mentioned you're tired. I kind of want to unpack that a little bit because... There was this interesting thing that occurred to me that this entire passage of scripture that you were talking about, which this week we're talking about 2 Corinthians 1 verses 15 to 22, Paul is explaining sort of about how he had said he might go on a trip, but he didn't make it on the trip and that he wants to continue making it on a trip. And you unpacked sort of the let your word be your word part of it, but you also as you were preparing for this message, we're on a trip. I was. Visiting churches. I was. And I wonder if if you could just talk about that because it's an interesting part of your role that maybe some people don't know about. You Tell us where you went, why you went there, and kind of what that looks like. Yeah, so in addition to my work at RIV, I serve as the regional director for a network, a church planning network, which is called Acts 29. And so my job is I oversee, I guess oversee is a really weird word, but I, I serve. Uh, churches in the upper or in the Midwest of the United States. It's about 14 or 15 states. I actually lost track because we just added a bunch of states. And so uh, we just added what's called the Heartland, which is Missouri, Kansas, Nebraska, and Oklahoma. So what I did this week is I did a big tour. I flew into Omaha and I drove from Nebraska to through Iowa to Missouri and to Kansas City, and then from Kansas City to Wichita, Kansas, and then I flew home. And I met with almost a dozen people while I was traveling, just pastors of churches, uh, leader of another network that, uh, you know, we just have tons of respect for these other guys and this other church planning network, and just got to know them and hear their story. And it's new to me because I've never worked with this part of the country before. It just got added to my region. And so it was fun for me to just sit down with really rock stars. I mean, when I think about the pastors that I look up to, a lot of times they're the church planters. They're they're grinding it out. So I, you know, I met with small town guys, big city guys, and just be able to talk with people who are laboring on the front lines for the gospel, getting something new started. It's just super exciting. It just those are my spiritual heroes. Now I want to go farther into that, but first thing that I have, I have a question. You you said you went through Missouri. Did you go to Kent or to St. Louis first of all, and did you take your son? I didn't. <laughs> I did not. I didn't go to St. Louis, but I am going to St. Louis here in I think next month. I'm going to St. Louis. I really should bring my son. I didn't even think about that. Of course, he lives in Chicago. I should offer for him to go with me. That's hilarious. One of these days, he needs to get to St. <laughs> Louis. Does. He and does. Obviously, we're referring to part of your message that you talked about a trip at the beginning, and so. If none of that made any sense to you and you were wondering why I'm so interested in St. Louis, this would be a good time to go and listen to the message first. But I felt like I just had to ask because it was such an important thing. Oh, yeah. Thing. Yeah. Yeah. But no, I, I, I was on a different part of the state. I was on the far other side of the state in Missouri. So what are those conversations like when you sit down with these church planners and you kind of come in, not, you said it's not really an overseeing role, but what are those, what, what do you talk about? What do you do? Gosh, a lot of this trip was I would come in and just say, Hey, I'd love to hear your story. So tell me your faith story. Tell me your church's story, how your church got started, how things are going right now. 
and just is, what can I do for you? Like, how can I serve you best? What, what do you need from us as a network to be able to be supported? And I'll tell you, just hearing stories of how churches get started is one of the most thrilling things that I get to do because you get to hear someone talk about how Jesus transformed them and that it eventually it turned them inside and out and they just had to tell other people about Jesus. And every church planter I've met, you know, it used to be the, the joke was uh, they were disgruntled youth pastors who didn't want to be under authority. <laughs> I would go plant a church. But it seems like every church planter that I talk to, they see a group of people, be that a tiny small town or an urban area that doesn't have enough churches that are that are proclaiming the gospel there. And they're like, I just need to reach these people for Jesus. And and even just heard a story recently of a church plant that we're part of that's happening down in, uh, I think it's a Royal Oak near Detroit. They haven't even launched yet, but they've had their first conversion already wow. of someone coming to faith. And that, like, just I would spend all my time just sitting and learning from these guys and just hearing their their passion. That is really exciting. And it is part of your role you described, but it's also a thing that is really important to Riverview as a church. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, we're connected with X29, right? And it's a, you know, we have had a history of sort of supporting church planting. Just, I remember looking at uh, uh, just a piece of paper that just sort of like explained the scope of it. And it was, like if you don't know that this is all going on, it, it's it's really encouraging, but it's also there's a lot more of it than maybe the average person knows. Just tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. Well, when you know our church from the beginning was a church planting church. I always like to tell the story. It was planted in '77, and I was six years old, so I did not plant the church. I'm not a church planter, <laughs> um, but we started 13 churches in the first 12 years. And it was just this whole, hey, we got to just reach, you know, never know when Jesus is coming back. We got to reach as many people as humanly possible. So we just went out and we planted churches like crazy. And they, a lot of them didn't make it. And so we learned we need to do better at this. And so we ended up teaming up with X29 just to have a partnership of people. They do a great job assessing church planters and supporting church planters, training them and all that. And so, but we uh, at RIV, we give 10% of our finances to church planting. We support church plants in Michigan and in the Midwest and in East Asia and Brazil. And, and we are there. Are, we, we're supporting dozens of church planters every year through that initiative. And so it's been really cool. Uh, sometimes I've, I've had an opportunity to go to East Asia. Um, and I may have an opportunity to go again. When I go there, I can't tell anybody about what I've done. So uh, some of the work I've done in the countries I've been to, I can't talk about. But I'm go- you know, I may go later this year. I often will go down to Brazil and help lead training sessions. Uh, last year, it was last year or the year before, got to go down to Brazil to a people group called the Quilombo, which are African slaves that were freed in Brazil and built societies that are very similar to the African societies that they came from, but they speak Portuguese. Fascinating. And the gospel is just blowing up there. And there are all these church plants getting started. And just there's one guy that was going from town to town to town uh, preaching over and over and over the same message because he has like churches in all these tiny little towns that he's moving around in. And he's a local guy that got saved and wanted to tell people about Jesus. And so I get, you know, and so it's just for me, it's exciting to support church plants and just be able to come alongside them and just say, what can we do to help? And that's a lot of what I do is just, how can I serve? What do you need? And one of our church planters, actually, he's our uh, grandbaby church plant. 
he calls me grandpa. And a lot of times that's exactly what happens is it's just like having a kid. They call you when they, they need money and <laughs> when they need support and just happy to be that. So I'm just excited that Riverview has this rich history of being a church planning church and that we're still doing that today. Yeah. They call you when they call mom and dad and mom and dad won't give them the money. So exactly. The yeah. Yeah. So you, you went on a trip and that's always a dangerous thing living in Michigan, especially this time of year, because sometimes circumstances change, which is a segue into sort of the passage of scripture that we looked at this week or that you, that you preached from this week because Paul had um, sort of had plans to, to visit the church in Corinth and those plans changed. And that seems like it's a pretty important, you didn't get into what changed. That's for another that's message. That's next week. Yeah, yeah that's, that's next week. That's next, next week's message. But it actually seems really interesting to me because this, you, you know, you started your message talking about the way that we react when we feel like someone has made a promise to us and then they don't keep it. And yet the important piece it feels like you started with is that, that's not what happened here, right? That Paul didn't tell them he was going to do a thing and then he didn't do it. But I think that's the way that it would be easy to sort of interpret it. So let's, let's unpack that to start with. Well, yeah. So Paul had made a promise. And again, people debate a little bit about what, what the promise entailed and, and what he said. But I, I think he was going to Macedonia. He was going to visit. And then he was going to swing double back again and see them. And he didn't double back. In fact, if you look at the map, he kind of went around them. Yeah, uh-huh. instead of going back and he'll get into next week why that was important and why he did that for their sake. However, um, they kind of got all up in arms about that and they were upset about that. And what Paul does rather deftly is he, he points out the fact that his integrity is pure and then he leapfrogs to talking about the fact that God is always faithful and Jesus is faithful. And the reason he does that, I think, is again, we got into this a couple weeks ago. A lot of his opponents in Corinth were trying to tarnish the name of Jesus and tarnish the gospel by tarnishing Paul. And we do that same kind of stuff today. And 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 I wonder, and we're, we're going to get into this a lot more next week. Next week's going to be a doozy. Oh, boy. But um, the fact that I think this is a strategy of the devil. And I even look online right now, and I watch the way Christians treat other Christians online. And I just cannot help but to wonder if the devil is behind that. Because if he can cause Christians to seem duplicitous and hypocritical, and, and let's be honest, we're all duplicitous and hypocritical some of the time. Yeah. None of us are Jesus. But if, if, if we get seen as that is the core of who we are, the devil can undermine our message. And I do think that that is a winning strategy online that the devil is using right now. Yeah. Okay. So let's unpack this in three ways. Okay. Uh, because I think there are three pieces of application here or three things that we should be thinking about from this passage. And if you break it down, like when you just think about whose word and who is keeping their word, I think Mm. we can think about that in terms of God's promises to us, right? Right. Our promises to other people, right, and then other people's promises to oh, that's us. That's good. That's and good. we react to hey, those a three things. Three point sermon. You yeah. should be a Baptist. Preacher. Well, there we go. <laughs> we'll see what. Yeah. Anyway, I got other things. You to just do right need now. to alliterate it. If you can oh. alliterate those three, then you're in. What if I have a PowerPoint and I just number uh-huh. them and that, stuff? That'll work. Okay. So let's start with I think God's promises first. And you actually alluded to the passage, you know, to, to the famous passage Jeremiah twenty nine eleven, and the piece that you talked about was. Like God keeps his promises, but it's important to understand who the promises were made to. And it does seem as though as Christians, we have a habit of claiming all of the promises that seem really good. Right. Right. I mean, there's an, the prosperity gospel is sort of just based on that idea. 
And Jeremiah 29 11 is a perfect example of that. But what's weird to me is that most people don't read verses one through 10, where basically he's saying like, you're going to be there a while. Uh huh. You're going to be in captivity for a long time, for a very 70 long time. years. So long <laughs> that you're going to build houses. You're going to plant fields. You're going to have children. You're going to give them away in marriage. And then he says, I'm going to come back for you. Yeah. Verse 10 is when 70 years yeah. for Babylon are complete, I'll attend to you and confirm my promise concerning you to restore you. <laughs> yes. And then, but and I, I love this because then I think in one of your previous messages, the message started with the word indeed, which you said was an arrow that points backwards. I think the same thing's true in Jeremiah 29, because 29, 11, because he says for, mm, I know the yep, plans, Yep. right? All of this is important context for you for, I know the plans I have for you. So I would love to hear how, as a Christian, we can sort of discern the difference between how do we know what God's promises is for our own life versus God's promises that he has made just, you know, in the Bible. That's good. You know, I, I think that a lot of it is like you just, you just did. It's reading the Bible in context. And I've had this uh, healthy debate with followers of Christ who I just love and we disagree on this point. So just take this for what it's worth. But I think that when using, uh, you know, Jeremiah 29, 11 as an example, because it's like the most famous one right now, uh, it seems in our cultural moment, is we, we claim these promises that were made to somebody else and we only claim the positive ones, like you said, like a horoscope. It's kind of like, yeah, well, this, you know, just, it's so general. Um, and, and so part of it is reading it in context. And then a lot of the promises that are for sure, yes, for us are those promises that we see in the New Testament in things like in Christ. You'll see these phrases all the time. You are this in Christ. Uh, this is what will happen in Christ. There's promises that are made specifically to the church and the promises that are made to the church in the New Testament, we can claim those for ourselves. Um, but there are, uh, you know, but then you could you could look at like Abraham, God's promise to Abraham that in his, in his seed, all nations will be blessed. That is a promise for us because we're part of all the nations. And so a part of it is just actually reading it normally. Uh, we haven't used that phrase in a long time at Riv. We used to use it all the time. We need to just read the Bible normally. And what that means is if it's history, it's history. If it's poetry, it's poetry. If it's prophecy, it's prophecy and read it for what it is. And so, and a lot of times we're just, we're too, I don't want to say sloppy, but we are too quick to apply positive things to ourselves and negative things to others. Mm-hmm. And that comes out in, in how we view God's promises. Like, I think I referenced that this weekend in, in uh, you know, Jeremiah's passage. He goes on after verse 12 uh, or after verse 11 to, to make other promises, promises of sword and famine and plague. Yeah. <laughs> and like you said, he'd promise you're going to be there for 70 years. See, so I might as well get a house and get some wives Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, like for yourselves. I mean, it just, it, you know, we, we, it, it's the same way that we tend to, overvalue ourselves and undervalue other people. We, we apply the same thing to God's promises. So I would say with God's promises, yes, they're all yes in Jesus. The fulfillment of all of them is yes in Jesus to the person to whom they are given. And, and, and so when we see promises to followers of Jesus in the church, those are for us as well. Yeah, and it seems like the overarching principle there is, yeah, God does know the plans he has for your life and those yeah. plans don't change yeah. and he does always keep his promises yeah. even if we don't understand right. them. Right, and you can even lean into that and say, okay, so when I look at this, for I know the plans I have for you, 
This is the Lord's declaration. That is true throughout Scripture for all of us. So that is generally true. And then our, the plans for our well-being, not disaster, give a future hope. Generally, we can take the rest of Scripture and we can find other verses that would say all those same things. And, and that's another key interpretive principle is don't use the wrong text to preach the right message. Because what you end up doing is you end up teaching people to allegorize Scripture Mm-hmm. Um, so let the, each text be its own thing and let it say its own thing instead of using the wrong text to, to make a good point. Yeah. Okay. So now let's move to what I think is slightly harder. I mean, understanding God's promises is hard, but we do know that God is consistent throughout history and that he is faithful. So even if we don't always understand it, we can trust that he's going to keep his promises, but people don't. Right. Right. People don't. <laughs> Human beings don't <laughs> keep their promises. So when I was just struck by the idea that sometimes the appropriate reaction to someone telling you they're going to, because listen, I, it drives me as much nuts as anybody when a meeting doesn't start on time or when someone doesn't show up for something or when you, you know, we had our porch done very recently and we thought that it was going to be done a long time ago. And there was a little bit of miscommunication there, but we thought that someone had made us a promise and when it didn't happen, it was really frustrating, right? But at the same time, you know, this, it was also easy to realize like this person has six or seven people, they're working on all these other things. You know, my wife who is, who is very good at this sort of thing can bring a little bit of balance and say like, you know, but grace is a real thing <laughs> and it's not just extended to us. Sometimes the best response to someone who isn't able to keep their word because you don't always understand whether that's a broken promise or circumstances change right. is grace. And I'm, I'm just curious, like what is the encouragement you would have for people as we walk through this life with other human beings who don't always keep their word? Yeah. Well, I think you've tapped on a big two. And the, the first one is you never know what is going on in someone else's life. And I remember hearing, I want to say it's Steve Summerlot, pastor Steve from, from Riv here. I think years and years and years ago, maybe even decades ago, hearing him preach on driving in traffic and having someone cut you off. And, and I've stolen this and used it a couple of times because I got it from him. But, um, and you never know if that person has a pregnant wife in the car, they're trying to get to the hospital. Mm-hmm. You know, somebody slowly drifting your lane. You don't know if that person just found out that their mom died. Right. And he kind of went through a whole bunch of things like that. And you don't know. And so there is a, 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 like you said, like your wife said so appropriately, sometimes give grace to people because you don't know whether it's circumstance. Now, if there's a pattern with someone, they're always late to every meeting. They never follow through on everything. <laughs> Great. You got something. But you can give people a lot more grace. Um, the second thing is you can think of all those moments that you drifted into somebody's lane. Mm-hmm that you cut somebody off the times you broke a promise or you were late to a meeting and, and, and you kind of flip the shoe on, on, on the other foot that that is completely (laughs) the wrong metaphor, but you just kind of flip it around. Yeah, exactly. But you remind yourself that you have done those same things. Uh, And it's a good reminder that Jesus is faithful, that God is faithful, that we're not always faithful. And so I think when someone else breaks their promise toward us, it does give us an opportunity to be both gracious and introspective and and even to remember that we've done those very same things. Yeah. And in fact, I've heard people who have said this, that sometimes the reason that that is so frustrating when we experience that coming from other people 
is because we recognize that it's also true about ourselves. And yet you can't be mad at yourself about that. And yet we, we are very antagonized and offended when it happens to us. And it's, it's because we know that this is our own thing that we struggle with. Yeah. I mean, um, yeah, that made me think of something and this is, uh, I want to be very clear. This is, I don't know. Can you subtweet on a podcast? So this is not a sub podcast. So <laughs> I, I, I'm not subtweeting anyone. So, but it just came to mind as you were saying that, that sometimes some of the ways I see some pastors treat each other online is ways that they would be mortified if their congregation was treating other congregation members that way mm. too. Right. And, and, you know, they will treat, you know, people in ways that they would be instituting church discipline. And I think it is so easy for us to have blind spot towards ourselves. There's one of my favorite essays ever was by C.S. Lewis in a, a book, a short book of essays called God in the Dock. And it's called the problem with X is the name of the, the short article. And what he talks about is that we all have what he calls a fatal flaw. He says it's sort of like a halitosis, you know, bad breath. Mm-hmm. Everyone knows you have it, but you. And he said, we all are so worried about finding that in somebody else. And we should be more concerned with trying our hardest to find it in ourselves. And I think that that's, again, go back to these broken promises. Other people break promises toward us and we are just quick to leap all over them. But the question is, what does that betray about what is going on in our own heart? What is our fatal flaw there, the X in our lives, the trouble with X in our own lives? And really, if we spent more time worrying about ourselves and less time worrying about others, it it would be game-changing societally <laughs> in yeah. our churches. Yeah, so let's talk about the the third piece of that, which is the uh, our promises that we make to others. And so I was thinking about in first Timothy chapter three, when Paul, he's describing the, the qualifications for an elder, but I have always thought about that as even if that biblically he's talking about elders, I think they're pretty good qualifications for anyone who leads anyone in terms of the, the PC that I'm referring to is in, in verse three, where he says, be above reproach. That seems like a good qualification for any leader. And, and you can tell me if I'm wrong, but I've always sort of interpreted those three words be above reproach as don't give anyone a reason to assume the worst about you right yeah. they might like you can't yeah. you, but it's not just do the right thing but it's don't give anyone a reason to assume that you're doing the wrong thing right it's not a, it's like it's not a it's it's the what's important there is the perception of you not just the behavior right yeah. and yeah. so it feels like when we think about the our word that's really important because you don't want to give anyone a reason to think that you're not reliable. You don't want to give anyone to, a reason to think you're not trustworthy. You don't ever want to give someone a reason. I, I always think of the, I, I, when I write articles for my other job, I often use the phrase, trust is your most valuable asset, right? Because it takes a very long time to earn it. And once it's gone, like who's going to give you money for something if they don't trust that the thing that, the, that you, they bought is going to do the thing. So I, I loop back to that and I think about like the importance of our word to others. And I feel like Paul is saying something about that in this passage because he he, he's very clear that he wasn't breaking a promise. The circumstances changed, but he also was really clear that like, let your yes be yes, let your no be no, that kind of thing. And so that feels like it's the important piece for our takeaway, not just how we interact when people do that, for, do that to us, but we should be thinking about our word. Yeah, and and I think you used First uh, Timothy three very rightly 
while it is specifically a list of qualifications for elders, the reason it's a list of qualification for elders is it is it is the description of what a mature follower of Jesus should look like. And so there is a sense in which we can't just skip over that if we're not an elder, but we should look at that as saying, oh, okay, this is this is what I should aspire to be. This is like what maturity looks like. And so I think you're right when he says above reproach, uh, uh, above reproach, I think that it is, I used to hear, uh, there's a guy who used to always refer to it as, it says, it assumes there's no glaring weakness. Um, and I think that he's right to a degree, but it is more than that. And it, it is it is assuming that this person, this leader, like you said, doesn't have something you can point at. So they've kind of gone the extra mile. Like Jesus always talks, he talks about the second mile, right? So there's that extra mile. So I think when it comes to our promises, we as followers of Jesus, we ought to in maturity be people who, like Jesus said, let our yes be yes and our no be no. We should go beyond. It's not just uh, like no glaring weakness. It is we should go above and beyond in order to make sure that we are representing Jesus well. And here's the thing, we are we are going to fail at that. That's why I love the fact that he swings back and he says, hey, hey God is faithful. Right, it is it is him. He, Jesus is the one who's always faithful. And so our target with our promises should, gosh, you know, I remember being, like I shared this weekend, so convicted in middle school and high school when, I can't remember when it was, when my friend pointed out that uh, I had a yes, BS, and no, be no problem in my life. And, and I wasn't following through on things. And then that conviction sat heavily on me for at least a decade because for at least a decade after that, I still did that all the time. I broke promises. I missed deadlines. I was, uh, I had a kind of a thin veneer on the outside of my life and I was hypocritical and hiding behind that and, and all of that just, but that word laid heavy, like let your yes be no let, uh, and your no be no anything more than that is from the evil one. <laughs> and again, there's the devil right there. And so I think that we should aspire to be people who just, man, they just know, they know if we say we're going to do it, we're going to do it. If we say we're going to be there, we're going to be there. And it's, it's not just that we're, we don't have a glaring weakness in that area. It is that we are consistently like that. And, and because that's so weird in our culture. And then when we're like that, we can say, yeah, it's, it's Jesus doing the work in my life. Yeah. And I, 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 there's probably a whole other conversation we don't have time for the, the, why do we say yes when we don't mean it? Like, do we just want to please people? Do we just think that they're dumb and they won't remember? I don't know. Like that feels like a whole other thing, but I feel like the important piece for us and kind of where I want to wrap it up. I am old enough. I'm not quite as old as Noel, (laughs) just want to be clear, but I am old enough to remember the DC talk song. What if I stumble? And at the beginning of that Oh probably my gosh, lot, I haven't thought of that in probably decades, Probably a dude. lot of people listening to this podcast have no idea who DC Talk is. You might know Toby Mac. He used to be in a band, <laughs> right? But anyway, at the beginning, it says the greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips, walk out the door, and deny him by their lifestyle. And I think that there's a piece of that where we don't just represent ourselves. We, we do to people who know that we follow Christ, represent Christ. We represent the church. And that's not just true of pastors. You've talked a couple times about how if you can undermine the credibility of the pastor, you can underline, undermine the message. That's actually true for all of us, right? When people see us proclaim Jesus and then they see us just make stuff up or just lie or make promises we don't keep, 
it feels like there's a lot more weight behind that. Yeah, I mean, think about a dad that goes to the service, sings the songs, holds his wife's hands, and then gets in the car and unloads on his wife and his children. What you're doing is you're communicating to your wife and to your kids that you don't really believe what you were just singing about and listening to in church, right? And so you're absolutely right. And that's where like I've often used the phrase recovering hypocrite for myself. That is my other podcast that is now defunct, at least for a while. Um, on pause. But it's on, on pause. pause for now. Um, but the, uh, the fact that I just know that that sin of hypocrisy is just so easy for me and so easy, I think, for all of us to just kind of consume our lives that it's something we're constantly at battle with. And it will be that way until glory. And here's the beautiful thing about that. Um, when we wrestle with that and it drives us crazy that we're like that, when we break a promise and it kills us that we broke the promise, when we say yes and we knew we mean no and we caught ourselves doing it and we feel terrible about it, that is a good sign. It is a sign that everything inside of you is longing for that day when your position, your condition will link up in glory, when the two will become one, when you will fully become whole, where you're not going to be a hypocrite anymore, where you're fully conformed in the image of, of Jesus. And so we long for that every day. So if you're feeling terrible about this message or about any of this stuff, that is a great sign. Thank, congratulations. The Holy Spirit is at work in your life. Yeah, because everyone wants to come to church and leave feeling terrible. So, uh -huh. yeah, especially when you listen to podcasts. It's what we're shooting for, really. <laughs> it's good. That's why we have lots of coffee to help to sort of like smooth it over a little bit. But okay, so my last question every week is the same. Is there anything as you were going through this that just it didn't make it into the message that, that you just want to share with us? You know, it's funny. It, this is almost the inverse of last week's. Um, um, what was killing me was the stuff that's coming next week mm. because there's so much here that is attached to next week. And, and because we're taking these tiny little chunks, I was talking to Pastor James about this. I, I, I preached the first message on the first week and, he, and afterward he said, well, you pretty much just preached my second message. I'm going to do the same thing next week. And I feel like this week was the same thing we did last week. There's, there's going to be this connective tissue every single week. And so for me... The big thing that struck me is how much I really truly believe there is a devil, Satan is real, and that he is he is trying to undermine the church. And he's not omnipotent, he's not omniscient, he's not omnipresent like God. He's a fallen angel. He's not he's not like the yin to God's yang, right? But he has been around for a really long time. And he knows what he's doing. And I just can't help but think about the fact that he, he, he's got a lot of victories in this world. And, and right here on the pages of this letter that was written 2000 years ago, we have the same issues. And I think we're gonna get into a lot of that next week. And so what I couldn't get into this week, and I was really careful, is not tapping too far. So this is the teaser. If you're listening to this before we get into the next passage, this is where we're going. We're gonna talk about the devil next week. I can't wait. So, and so I am looking forward to next week and Noel, I really appreciate you taking the time. Those of you who are listening, we really appreciate it. By the way, I should mention that in Apple podcast, you can actually leave a review and rate this podcast. And some of you have, we have a five-star rating. Hey, how about with that? More than one rating. So it wasn't just Noel who did that. We, we, some of you actually are enjoying, but actually this helps. One of the reasons it's helpful if you take the time to go and leave a review and leave a rating is 
it kind of helps like the Apple podcast surface some of these things to other people. And while this content is specifically designed for people who attend Riverview, we really think that this content is useful for everyone. And so if you do that, it's just kind of helpful and it's sort of a signal to other people, hey, here's some, some useful stuff that you might want to listen to. And we appreciate you listening and we'll talk to you again next week. <laughs>